0: slash the codex cantina. It all helps us in running the show along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're gonna do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. So the world is changing and I was reading in the Boston Globe how the writers organization Pen America hosted a Zoom conference, a place for Ukrainian writers, authors, poets to come together and express themselves through words. As Ukrainian writer Oksana puts it, Many of us are tormented and driven by both rage and compassion, and perhaps poetry is one of the best ways to address both. Which brings us to today, we have purchased the Words for War 2017 collection from Ukrainian authors describing their life, describing what it's like to live in a world that is just kind of enraptured with war
1: a lot of times we read for escapism to go into a fantasy world because real life is too difficult but today we want to take a step into the real world and acknowledge things that are happening to us and read for realism and things that are meaningful to people and how people use the pen is mightier than the sword and so we want to go through a poem that i think is very relevant to what's happening in the world in ukraine today
0: So real quick, a foreword on if you should decide that if this is a poetry book that you maybe want to read more to process things, there's a quote that says, The armed conflict in the east of Ukraine brought about an emergence of a distinctive trend in contemporary Ukrainian poetry, the poetry of war. Directly and indirectly, the poems collected in this volume engage with the events and experiences of war, reflecting on the themes of alienation, loss, dislocation, and disability, as well as justice, heroism courage, resilience, generosity, and forgiveness. So we're going to be reading one of the poems from today and discussing kind of what we see in that to kind of maybe just have a discussion on things. This is by Yuri Isdrich, and it's called Make Love. This war isn't war. It's a chance not to kill anyone. This love isn't love unto death. It's as long as it lasts. To protect one another is all this occasion demands. And to look at the world through a steady rifle sight and to look within ourselves through every microscope and to look at you at every hour, every minute, at all times to protect one another. And in keeping calm and carrying on to burn down to the ground and to rise up as smoke, this war isn't more. But a certain and fiery passion, this love is forever. Just as moments pass forever, we hit bottom to get stuck in some new heaven. There is a string that binds us all together. That string between us is a safety fuse.
1: Oh, I I, I got goosebumps. I know maybe you can't see them, but wow. that I get poetry now. I'm really starting to appreciate it. And I think that because of your uh, fortitude into this and being able to recognize which ones I think are easier to for, for a novice like myself, I, I'm starting to learn why it is so important to the literary realm of writing. I love it.
0: Now, with that said, one of the reasons why I did select this for you is I thought that there might be a few things that kind of stick out when we're talking about war literature, when we're talking about literature that uh, deals with what does this conflict mean to our lives, in a sense. And one of the lines that I thought would probably stick out to you, you tell me if this did or didn't, but there's a line that says, and in keeping calm and carrying on, I assume you're quite familiar with that one, Mr. Crypto.
1: Carry on my wayward son. <laughs> no, that's Vietnam. Uh yeah, this is play this is a play I think towards World War II and the the slogan that was very prominent across uh Britain at this time.
0: So what is its meaning? Its meaning was London is it wasn't too far from mainland Europe. Planes at that time had the technology to fly over and drop bombs on cities. So here you had regular civilians coping with a war that started across across the the ocean across the lake if you will and they're dealing with bombs now coming to their home as civilians being bombed you know and one of the slogans that came out was keep calm and carry on and the reason why that slogan worked was the idea was that there are things out of your control and things that are in your control and certain things when it comes to you know bombing and this way of life their life was changing and rather than throw up and give up everything, they had to maintain, I think, some identity. They had to maintain some sense of normalcy through a very hectic time that, that forced them to deal with loss, that forced them to deal with conflicts. And maybe a bunch of innocent civilians who had nothing to do with that were now facing this, this challenge every day.
1: I think the key word that I got out of this was normalcy that you just mentioned and that there was a lot of psychological terror that was being bombarded with these bombs. They didn't know when they were going to happen. You had the raid signals uh, that were going, you know, all the time in London when they were being, you know, the the great blitz, uh, the great bombings. And I think that this is something that's trying to appease not appease trying to calm as it says in there the almost psychological warfare that's going on is like hey we're going to get through this but you have to have you know the the mental capacity to understand that they're just trying to wear us down and we can make it if we we come together and we just carry on with our lives and you do what you need to do the soldiers will keep us safe and we'll win this war
0: did you read the foreword in the words for war poetry collection that we got
1: i didn't read the foreword no, I just jumped right to the poem. <laughs>
0: yeah, w- one of the things that it kind of talks about is it talks about, well, hey, recognize that in America you're typically removed as a civilian from war. Like when you look at what happened in World War II, when you look what happening is happening now with civilians in in Europe and such, is they're in the war, they can't escape it, and that's kind of what that slogan I think represents and is an awakening I think for someone is is the sheer terror of being thrust into this type of a conflict. Now, because of translation, I can't say for sure this is what an author intended, but we could take poetry however we want, right? And even the title of the story, Make Love, right? And then immediately the first two lines deal with make love, basically, not war, which is another slogan, from American anti you know uh war sentiment and slogans if, if if we have the the English you know keep calm and carry on, we have the make love not war commentary from America as well here, I don't know if the translation works as well for that, but for sure that's a feeling that I got of oh, hey, there's a couple of maybe potential anti war slogans just kind of built into the prose of the poetry
1: and I don't remember when was this poem written.
0: Uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to go check into the collection. The The collection was published in 2017, so I'm not 100% sure when the poem was written, though.
1: So if this is obviously after World War II, it is probably maybe after Vietnam as well, so that's where that slogan was very, very popularized in uh, American politics and, and rallies and protests and parades of you know, that... Um, sentiment of hey let's bring our boys home peace love rock and roll so I I definitely felt that as well it feels like this poem is kind of encapsulating all of the modern wars of the 20th century I mean it it almost feels like there's a little bit of World War I World War II maybe Korean War Vietnam War it feels to have a, a, a touch of everything it's very very beautiful very touching
0: well, and I think that's kind of the eternal sadness of it, like the the words in this poem, because you have this love isn't love unto death; it's as long as it lasts. And it, and you and I, as two married men, we tend to think of this marriage vows as something that's like eternal to us, right? And until I die, this will be my life with my wife, right? And here they are comparing war, struggle, conflict as part of marriage to humanity even, where we're constantly involved in this struggle. And it's kind of sad to see that comparison, but to your point, it can be also a beautiful form of expressing it for what is ultimately a very horrific relationship, I would say.
1: I think it comes back to that idea that we talked about at the beginning of realism, is that a lot of times human beings, especially historians, we define ourselves through war Anytime there's a war, that's something that's definitely going to go in the history books. Anytime there's a war, we see advancement in technologies. We see advancement in communications. We see advancement in better ways of killing ourselves, unfortunately. It is something that is consistent throughout human history, and that it, it is something that it defines us, and that we always seem to have this conflict as a human species.
0: There's a string that binds us all together. That string between us is a safety fuse, and I'm sure you know the safety fuse is that, that string that's used to initiate a bomb very slowly. It, it, yeah. And that's kind of sad to think about how uh, the, the thing that connects us being this ticking bomb of, of uh, a conflict waiting to happen. And, you know, we have those relationships in our lives, those tenuous relationships where we like the person. But, you know, there's there's just going to be that moment that sets you off like it could cause you guys to fall out with each other and such. And uh, it makes you kind of question how do we resolve our differences sometimes? And it's it's sad to see uh, the loss of life be an output or the way to choose that. And it's it's uh, terrific.
1: And one thing that is not like really specifically mentioned in the poem, but for me, I kind of took it that way. My interpretation of the string that binds us all and it's kind of our safety net is when I teach about the Cold War post-World War II, now that we have atomic weapons and then eventually nuclear weapons, is the MAD, mutually assured destruction. And that it's scary to think that the United States could launch all of its missiles against ourselves. Like we could nuke ourselves and destroy the whole world because of all the radioactive fallout and everything is that we we are connected, that what one person does Mm -hmm. across the world affects all of us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one point to think that war affects everybody, even if it's not in your face. And you said that before, something kind of unique to be an American that we don't have that, that privilege, or we do have the privilege of that we basically have one time, two times we've been attacked in a, in our existence where other people throughout the entirety of their history have experienced war firsthand in their neighborhoods, and we don't have that perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah. Recently, uh, love the channel, love John Green. I think he's a very smart guy. He's got a good team of writers behind him, but he posted a video and I'm curious your take on this from like a historian perspective, since I know you do take history very seriously. He mentioned in a very recent video that Ukraine translated to borderlands. Have you heard that one before?
1: Yeah, with all the stuff that I've seen on YouTube and TikTok and in the news and everything, that is definitely something that's appeared recently of talking about how Ukraine kind of came about to be, that it was the borderlands between the Balkan Slavic areas and Russia, and that it was a major part of the battlegrounds that were taking place during World War I before Ukraine became independent again and broke away from Russia uh, for multiple times because people have been living in that area for f- 14,000 years that we can trace back so yeah it, it's been always a, an area of contention or that border lands between those two areas
0: now it might be that but i also understand that that is quite contentious to say that that's the translation that like you can look at maps where they call what they call ukraine in like russian and ukraine and you know from ukrainian is not the exact same thing i'd be curious to know the truth about that. Because I do know that that's something that you, uh, I'm surprised it was thrown out there as fact because I thought that was kind of contentious. And you even saw like, remember in 2014 when Barack Obama called it the Ukraine? And there's a little bit of uproar about like, we're not the borderlands, right? We're, we're Ukraine. And uh, I, th- I, I just remember that being kind of like a moment where I kind of heard like a little bit of noise of it's It's like, you can't just throw the, because that's what the Russians define us as. That's not who we define ourselves as. So it's uh, it's interesting, I think, to get firsthand knowledge from from the people of that area of how do they view themselves.
1: And there's some great, great um, young individuals that are on TikTok and they make lives all the time. They stream live and they talk about what's going on there. And they mm. even have talked about that thing. And I learned that just recently within the last few months because I've made that mistake many times of calling it the Ukraine. Because, you know, when the president does it, you think maybe it's supposed to be right, uh, you know, because we look up to our leaders as not that they know all and everything. But, I mean, my students look up to me that I know more than them. And I, I've made that mistake several times as well and, and that looking at it from a Russian To Ukrainian viewpoint, it is the Ukraine. But Ukrainians, they they don't say that. And it's almost like an insult to them to use that Mm -hmm. verbiage. And so, yeah, I'm interesting to know where John Green got that information of how he came about, that that's what the word translates to. Is it more of a Russian word than a Ukrainian word? Because their languages are very similar. Uh, And and I I wonder what uh, a Ukrainian would say of what that word translates for them. Yeah.
0: I'll put a picture up on a map. Someone was trying to make the case of it and I thought it was interesting and compelling and it just seems like it's a very contentious part of history. So interesting point. And uh, coming back to the poem, I think, you know, in terms of how it expresses a view about conflict being married to humanity, I think it's sad, but I think it's important for us to kind of continue to read these things.
1: Oh, I think it's important to branch out and understand where people are coming from and why they believe the things they do. And uh, if poetry can get you emotionally charged, then you have a vested interest in it. You're more willing to learn someone else's side, culture, history, understanding, and gain a little bit of sympathy and hopefully empathy eventually.
0: And coming up next, we have Boris Humenik in this collection. We're going to look at a couple of his poems just to kind of give you a taste. And, you know, if you're interested in picking up this book, we more than encourage you to check it out and kind of read what they have to say. So we post videos every Monday and Thursday. My name has been Una. Call to peace. Peace.